Hey, just a heads up. The episode you're about to listen to is about Videotrome, directed by David Cronenberg, written by David Cronenberg. Some relevant trigger warnings for this movie include misogyny, violence against women, suicide, self-harm, racism, and exoticism, torture porn, and James Woods. And our hosts rank this movie as, huh. If you'd like to learn more about the movie discussed this evening, please visit our website, progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm, for show notes. After the spooky music, we'll talk about the movie in full, so be forewarned, there will be spoilers. Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards never agreed to. Welcome back to Cronenberg, November, whatever we're calling it, where we're talking about the works of David Cronenberg. Tonight, we're talking about the truly VHS-era body horror classic, Videodrome. I am your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cinebites. First, they're here to challenge the sexy werewolf, sexy vampire binary, my co-host Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? I think the most inspired choice this movie makes is casting James Woods as its degenerate scumbag pervert protagonist. Right. I do not enjoy James Woods, but that was some on-fucking-point casting. Head of the curve. Yeah. Also, trigger warning, James Woods. Right. Yeah. And the cinnamon roll of Cenobite, my co-host, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? There's so much to talk about in this movie, but this movie is like watching like some H.G. Wells shit. It's like if somebody tried to imagine what it was like to fly and they're like, what if machines could fly and also you could fuck them? Like, it's just so wild. And our guest tonight, my good friend and comic book artist, Jason Struts. Jason, how are you? Pretty good. My my video flash is exploding with excitement to talk about this movie. Why Long did that man explode? Long live the new flesh. Just, just to get into the big questions right away, why did that man explode? Why did the ending of the movie happen? We got two sex from Crimes of the Future. We got the flesh and the fly, and now we have the new flesh in Videodrome. Just one of the many weird ideas that this movie just kind of throws into the mix is like cutting people as sex. That was so clearly a concept that would stick with Cronenberg for 40 years. Hell yeah. Where he made an entire movie about it. Still working that one out. Yeah. For, Never say the man doesn't have themes. For decades, this man has been wrestling with the nature of slicing into people and his sexual feelings about that. And also making new organs that are like evolving you. Yeah. Which is also horny. Yes. Just yeah. as a concept. There's yeah. no way Videodrome and Crimes of the Future don't take place in the same timeline, right? One right but after the other. Ooh. This is a, a another in his uh, early series of things that grow you new organs. Yes. A, a few of these to start out with. The shivers, which was all parasites, slug parasites that turn you into sex zombies. And then there was basically stem cells in a plastic surgery setting. That started rabid, yes. Was, uh, growing a spike out of your armpit, and then like it would suck people's blood. So he's always growing new organs in all the movies. Real new organ guy. I'm really what... sad that we're not getting to rabid, 
and the terror of women with armpit dicks. That's yeah. really yeah. the it's such an awkward place to have a blood sucking penis. Again, yeah. not I know we're not talking about it. I think Crimes of the Future might be the ultimate Cronenberg movie, if only for combining his body horror era with his works with Vigo Mortensen era. Per- perhaps we don't know that the people in Crimes of the Future did not have like five or six new organs. I mean, one of them did. It could have been there. Yeah. It could have been all of them. It's like the end game of Cronenberg movies where all the organs show up at the end. Have you seen Crimes of the Future? I haven't seen all of it. Okay, because you just (laughs) described spoilers. (laughs) All right. I nailed it. I I went back in his filmography as opposed to forward. Mm. Imagine just like that run that Cronenberg has in like a 10 year time span he does shivers scanners videodrome and the fly and then I guess in 1987 he just like wakes up from a haze and is like I'm done with that now like I'm this is becoming way too much of who I am and I need to go make a naked lunch now yes I don't know if that's too divergent from the Cronenberg thema the naked lunch there was, but, there was uh, yeah there, yeah there was a regression there from naked from shivers yeah, to history of violence okay yes yeah. that's yeah it, so it like, took him a while like you still you know you still got like m butterfly in between in that era when he was like it, yeah. it was a gradual come down yeah. yeah yeah so i i haven't watched his newer stuff being more interested in these types of his movies so it's good to hear that perhaps crimes of the future is something i should be watching yeah. Oh my God. It's 100%. we had a bit of a it was a bit of a minority report situation going on where it was like a two v one on that episode. <laughs> Me and Emily were big into vibes, and Jeremy was like, "Yeah, but what's the fucking story?" It's yeah, optional. The difference between this, between Crimes of the Future, and all the movies that are kind of like Crimes of the Future from the eighties is that Crimes of the Future. He was like, "But what if I just didn't have a plot? What if it was just the ideas and the vibes? Do I really need to have a story here?" And I would argue he didn't. No. Like, the vibes were enough. I'm sorry. We should actually talk about Videodrome yeah, instead yeah. of just making this Crimes of the Future Part 2. Yeah. Well, this, I mean, Videodrome is Crimes of the Future Part 1. Um, it really Let's is. Be real. I mean, it there are really several. Is. I don't know if this is one of them, but apparently Crimes of the Future was a title that he almost used for several different movies. There was a he short. Did. He did a, a Crimes movie. He did make Crimes of the Future in 1970 and then liked that title so much, he just fucking reused it 50 years later. Yeah, it's not a remake. It's not an update. It's just the same title. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking fucking of this story. Fucking Mad Lad, We Stan, and other Twitter lingo bullshit. Well, speaking of this story, Emily is, John, she drew the short straw for to do the recap on this one. So, Emily, give it a shot. All right. So. You got this. This is. The Videodrome, directed by David Cronenberg and righted, righted by David Cronenberg and starring James Wood's Debbie Harry. Yes, that Debbie Harry. And what a real thumbs down to thumbs up on that call sheet. Yeah, I know. That was some fucking whiplash right some there. Some real James Woods. Boo, Debbie Harry. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. And Sonia Smith's, among others. I didn't see who played Brawley, but we'll get to that. Oh, so, we'll get to Brawley. Our film begins with Max Wren. He is an average TV producer. He runs Civic TV, which is a misleading title for his niche porn channel, Channel 83. This is maybe the future. I don't know. It's the future of whatever time it was written. I think it's just um, Toronto. It is Toronto. I, yeah. yeah, it's Toronto. It's, like it's Toronto. 20. <laughs> yeah. 
complete with the cathode ray mission. So Max is everything you'd expect. He's a white smartass with zero class and fewer scruples. He's a total slob and asshole. And James Woods. Yeah. He starts his day with meeting with a Japanese producer from Hiroshima Video. And while their dialogue is surprisingly, and thank goodness, free of gong sounds, the racism abounds as Max and his committee deem the Japanese porn is too vanilla. Max meets up with his Egon Spengler Spengler lookalike TV pirate buddy, Harlan. Harlan might be Latinx, or he might just be calling James Wood Patron, like, constantly because he likes to. We're not sure. We never find out why. Harlan alerts Max to a possibly Malaysian torture porn show that he unscrambles from his satellite. Max is intrigued. Now, it's talk show time. Live TV host Rena King has Max on her panel today along with erotic radio personality Nikki, played by Debbie Harry, who is the host of Cram Radio, excuse me, C-Ram Radio's quote-unquote emotional rescue show. And the other guest is Professor Brian Oblivion. He is a man on TV who won't appear on TV except on TV. And he appears via a TV set, which is very futuristic for the time. Zoom has not been invented, or has it? Brian Oblivion says some wacky shit, like, Soon, all of us will have special names that will cause the cathode ray tube to resonate. Was he talking about internet handles? You be the judge. Max uses this occasion to harass Nikki on live TV. That's so professional, you guys. Later, Harlan reveals that the torture porn show is not, in fact, from the exotic and mysterious Malaysia, but rather the exotic and mysterious Pittsburgh. That's in the USA, by the way. Nikki and Max have their first date, and Nikki is down to clown she asks to watch some casual porn and max throws on one of harlan's excuse me harlan's pirate recordings which now have a name video drone nikki is super into it and wants to do some knife play and max is called on the carpet for being a lot more vanilla than he claims he concedes to some erotic ear piercing and things get psychedelic for a moment are you ready for it to get more psychedelic wait no but naked james woods pierced my ears at a mall did he that, that scene felt very relatable oh no (laughs) that's a real horror but that's over now enter masha who is max's next overseas overseas porn contact and my favorite character in the movie a classy dame super classy dame with high standards and max immediately tasks her with digging up the deets of videodrome max and nikki have another date number question mark of question mark and nikki announces that she is already on target for auditioning for videodrome Apparently, it doesn't occur to Max to ask Nikki what he asked of Masha. He is too busy telling her what's best for her. Nikki is all challenge accepted and does more pain play with Max, further offending Max with her own body autonomy. Masha then meets Max at a restaurant with more exoticism, and a similar conversation ensues. Masha tells Max that Videodrum is too hardcore for him. It's not a production, you see. It's real. Max is all, now I've never heard of reality. Nobody does that. And after lots of pleading, Masha's finally like, fine. She gives him a name. Professor Brian Oblivion. Max checks into the local cathode ray mission, a charitable question mark establishment that provides the needy with access to television. So that can be plugged back into the switchboard, quote unquote, and other such jargon. Apparently, this is where one finds Professor Brian Oblivion, or at least his daughter, Bianca. Bianca speaks almost entirely in metaphor like her dad. She also says, And I quote, my father has not engaged in conversation in 20 years. The monologue is his preferred form of discourse. Yeah, join the club. 
This is the only thing. Huh? It's relatable. Also remember, this is 1980s television. This is all like Wheel of Fortune shit. It's not like they're sitting people down and like, here, now watch all season one of Atlanta. Yeah. It's not good TV. They're watching Wheel of Fortune and videos of surgery. I don't know. It's Cronenberg. So yeah, this whole thing about her dad doing monologues all the time is the only thing that she says that is literal. James Woods drops the name Videodrome, and she's like, I never heard of that. And he's like, fine, and he ollies out. But things are getting really weird. So Max does the most irrational thing by introducing a firearm to the equation. As if on cue, his secretary, Bridie, delivers some tapes, and he hallucinates that he hit her, and also she's Nikki. She is concerned, but he ushers her out, acting in no way suspicious. But hey, he got a response from Brian Oblivion. After some philosophical declarations, the prof tells Max that he's tripping balls because of Videodrome. He explains that Videodrome may or may not cause a literal tumor, and then he is strangled. His murderer shows, ends up to be Nikki, who makes Max's TV pulsate sexily, and he makes out with it. Back at the mission, Max shows up, and he is like, Bianca, what the fuck? Your tape made me trip balls and make out with my TV. And she is like, no shit, and then explains, explains that Professor Oblivion has been dead for months, and all that is left of him is archive footage. Then she reveals that Videodrome is actually a signal that can be worked into anything and can induce tumors, which are actually new organs that further mankind's evolution, human instrumentality, and the the professor created the signal to help mankind evolve human instrumentality. But his evil partners wants to use it for nefarious purposes. And then when he resisted, they killed him. He also says things like public television, excuse me, he also says things like, Public life on television is more real than private life in the flesh. And, of course, who can forget, the battle for the mind of North America will be fought in the video arena, the Videodrome. Yay, it's the title. Okay, so Max watches more Brian Oblivion exposition footage with the knowledge that it may cause brain damage and hallucinations while playing with his gun. Don't you hate it when you lose your gun in your stomach vagina? (laughs) It's also a very relatable situation. I don't know if, I don't know about you guys, but anyway. You keep oh, yeah, I, I gunfinger my stomach vagina all the time. Nothing yeah, I mean, more it's, American. Yeah. James, at, this point, at this point, it's just foreplay. Yeah. Yeah. So while trying to wash down his lost gun with liquor, some asshole named Barry Convex calls and summons Max to, to his waiting limo. Max goes because, of course, it's the best idea to go to a second location after you've swallowed your gun and your vagina in your stomach. And he, he shirtlessly commences to the limo where Barry is not present, but communicates via TV like fucking everyone does in this movie. Barry Convex represents Spectacular Optical, a company that makes glasses and missile guidance systems and Videodrome. Lol. He's a corporate citizen that does not meet Max in the flesh in a swank marble-covered metropolitan high-rise, but in a humble eyewear storefront. This is normal. Barry tells Max that his super 70s upside down fancy magic glasses don't work with his face shape, and he's right, but he suggests something more delicate, you know, like a full VR headset. But this headset records hallucinations. The scene is super wild. So here's Max, and he's finally airing some second thoughts. He's not concerned about the health and safety of the hallucinating and hallucination and tumor causing technology, but rather his ability to maintain IP rights over his dreams. Yeah, it tracks. Max agrees to get into the helmets, Shinji, and Barry literally says you might have some residual hallucinations for a day, but just enjoy it. Like you enjoyed the losing your gun in your vagina. And uh, losing, you know where it is. I mean, it's in it's there more, somewhere. 
story. And you want like an oversized purse where you just got to dig around for a while. Like, you know, it's there. A torso Whatever. holding. Yeah. There's my gun. the gun the new organ? It's. Eventually. That's true. It's a real. When did Akira come out? After that, or maybe before that. I'm not sure. Anyway. Well, it came out for. No, 88. Oh, wow. After. Wow. Amazing. Especially good on you for doing this kind of like meat plus machine imagery like before Akira. You get credit for it actually being original, Cronenberg. Uh, oh, yeah. Otomo has a lot of Cronenberg in his portfolio. Or not his portfolio, but, you know, his uh, inspiration anyway. mind book. Yes, and that. At this point, videotapes themselves have only been around for six, seven years. Oh, he was yes. early. And... I'm pretty sure a bunch of the tapes that are pictured in the film are Betamax tapes. They are Betamax tapes. I, I of course, bought the Blu-ray after this and listened to some commentary. They chose Betamax because the cassettes were smaller to fit in tummy. Yes. I think (laughs) one thing that's super, super key to any level of analyzing or talking about this film is acknowledging that Brian Oblit, that Cronenberg studied under Marshall McLuhan at University of Toronto. Brian Oblivion is directly based off Marshall McLuhan, who famously said the medium is the message. And boy, is that not just like this movie writ large. Right. Yeah. So this movie has, as much as it is dated, the uh, the commentary on mass media is on point, but let's get back into the thick of it. Barry puts the uh, the helmet on James Woods and says, "Here, a little S and M might trigger a healthy series of hallucinations." And with that, he leaves Max alone in the back of the glasses shop to trip balls and uh, hallucinate that he is whipping a pulsating TV with Nikki on it. Oh wait, is that Masha? But it was just a dream, or was it? As Max recoils in mild confusion to the corpse of Masha in his bed with him, he calls Harlan in a panic because he needs a second pair of eyes to confirm whether or not there's a body in his bed. Also, if you drink every time Harlan says Patron, you too may shit a gun. Harlan and Max have a very socially intimate moment before we cut to their meeting at the lab. Then Harlan reveals that there is no Videodrome broadcast. He was just showing Max some tapes at the behest of Barry Convex. Dun, dun, dun. They are using Max to get to his gross, depraved TV station that they hate on, but also want so bad that they penetrate Max's stomach with stomach vagina with a pulsating tape and turn him into a Manchurian candidate and tell him to kill his partners at Sigmund TV. Max finds his gun in his stomach again, and it melts into his flesh like a Tetsuo the Iron Man, which came out after this. And he dutifully kills his partners with very little subtlety. With Bridie, his secretary's unwitting help, he escapes the scene to go kill Bianca Oblivion, but Bianca is like, oh, ho, ho, you finally come to kill me. And Max is like, what? No. But Bianca uses her psychedelic video powers to shoot the program out of Max and reverse him back on Harry, on, excuse me, and reverse him back on Barry and Harlan. She says things like, they're playing you like a tape. Ha ha, get it. Also, Bianca tells Max that Nikki is dead because of Barry and uh, Barry killed the prof. No shit. And finally... The most important line, death to Videodrome, long live the new. With this mantra, Max goes back on the hunt for Barry. He finds Harlan at the glasses store and Harlan tries to penetrate him with another tape. But Max grabs his hand with a stomach vagina like Ray Ayanami and and turns it into a grenade, which explodes Harlan. 
Oh, that's why he exploded. Yeah, it became it, that was that was. Something. I did not, but I just thought that was a weird way to show someone's hand getting yeah. off. It's like Max had mines did, in his stomach. Yeah, it's did like not World get that grenade. Stuff. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, now I know why he exploded. <laughs> yeah. Do you though? I honestly thought I truly thought James Woods exploded him with his mind. Anything's I guess possible. Yeah. Through hallucinations. In, in some ways, yes. Does this movie um, know what hallucinations are? Yes, because we're not sure what is what is a hallucination. That's the whole the new flesh is the reality of the television. Guys. Wow. Okay. So Max then goes to the glasses convention to find Barry. After a Buckwild Renaissance burlesque number with both guys and gals, very important, Barry takes the ballroom stage to introduce his new Medici, Medici collection. Max then kills him with his flash gun and recites his new mantra into the mic and then escapes while Barry explodes into a flesh monster. Sorry, that it, this part is so confusing to me, I can't even get into the flesh. Yeah, like, he's, he's not even there to be hallucinating it. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. The reality is the mind of projecting what the television tells it to project. Now, his dark errand complete, Max retires to a condemned boat where he finds the pulsating TV featuring Nikki. She instructs him to embrace the new flesh by killing the old flesh and shows him a video of him shooting himself with his flesh gun. The video makes the TV explode with guts because apparently now everything explodes with guts for reasons. Yes, uh, and then, flesh explodes. Yeah, it's what the, what it does. The um, rolls are way cooler. And uh, with that, fully convinced, James Woods mimics what he sees on the television, and with the words "All hail the new flesh," he shoots himself? Question mark with the gun as he pulls the trigger. We fade to black. The end, or is it? It is. Is it? Uh, I will never. Crimes of the future happen. A mo- I will never say that a movie that ends with James Woods getting shot in the head has a bad ending. That's a good ending, no matter the movie. If Spy Kids 2 had ended with James Woods just suddenly showing up to get shot in the face, I'd be like, great ending, Spy Kids 2. I just want to say something, and this is this is something that I may have mentioned before, and I apologize if I did. Because I, I apologize for bringing this up, but okay. So you know how James Woods plays Hades in Hercules, right? I do know how that. And in Kingdom Hearts. Yes, this is where I'm going. Play them like this. Yes, yeah, so okay. Plays- he also played the uh, the moon guy mascot from McDonald's. No, no. needle. Just the long face. That was Mac Doug tonight. Jones. Just looks like it. It was Doug Jones? It's great. Yes, that was actually Doug Jones. I kept seeing his face in the movie and just imagining it get slightly taller and paint it white. He could be the moon man. Oh, that, yeah, he does have a very moon-like face, which is reflected with the Hades character. Yes. But so James Woods does the voice acting for Hades in Kingdom Hearts. Now in Kingdom Hearts 2, the, uh, the Hercules level is changed. First, it was the arena where you'd have your like, shit. What's that movie with the Ridley Scott movie? Gladiator. Gladiator. Alien Prometheus. Alien Prometheus fights. <laughs> Alien so, Covenant in, Prometheus. You you go you go to Kingdom Hearts and you have the, the Prometheus arena. So um walk into things, right? Yeah, and you everyone takes their helmet off. But but in Kingdom Hearts 2, 
Hades takes over and everyone fights in the underdrome. Oh, that's great. Oh, I forgot they called it the underdrome. And when I heard him say underdrome, it like, I suddenly, he like put the tape in my stomach because I'm suddenly, I'm like, the new flesh. He knew what he was fucking doing. I'm like, Kingdom Hearts. The best part about Hercules and Kingdom Hearts is that it's the one world that shows up in every game. So at this point, Hercules has recurred enough that it's not like, ooh, we're visiting Hercules world. It's like, hey, here's Hercules, Sora's himbo friend who hangs out with him a lot. Some great years with Hercules. Hercules has appeared more in Kingdom Hearts than he has in Disney merchandising. So, yeah, I don't know. Guys, I think if we do a drinking game with this, we should definitely drink Patron, right? Like, oh, yeah, we have hundred percent. I think have- that's that's part of the mini like concepts that this movie is presenting to us is that there is also this hidden drinking game where you have to drink Patron when he says Patron, and then when we I- do that, that proves what they say about how the television projects reality and the public television reality is more real than the reality of i mean i do feel like this movie's easy out for all of it's like why did this weird like crazy thing happen is will you the audience are hallucinating by watching the movie because the movie is reality hallucination and it can just fucking ouroboros its way until you get confused until you're like wait a minute i still don't know why the fuck that man just turned into a tumor monster yeah, there's so many ideas that people are spouting. Like, the Jeremy, that review that you heard about Crimes of the Future, where they're like, everyone's just telling TED Talks to each other. And this is very similar, where people show up and they're like, "I here is my philosophy. But it's true, everyone has a philosophy. Monologuing is their medium. Monologuing is their medium. They haven't had a conversation in 20 years. Still not commentary sure. on Cronenberg from Cronenberg. Right. Like, do I understand the villain's plan correctly? Like, their plan was to broadcast this hallucination tumor video. So anybody who's just like, ooh, torture porn, I want to see that, would just get like a tumor. And that somehow protects, makes the West stronger from, I'm going to guess, China, Iran, Russia? I don't know. If, if, you, some... if you drive the people who would be interested, it's a honeypot. They're like yes. putting out this like bowl of, of S&M to attract those people and then bring them in, make them hallucinate. And then, yeah, that's where we Profit. go. A little bit I lost. Think, I uh, think I get like, it. Are we like... hoping that they kill themselves? Are these or is uh, it that the brain wing nut jobs like using the medium against against the people? I think that this they're trying to be able to program people and weaponize them because that's the most literal thing that happened with James Woods is that he was programmed. They used metaphor of flesh tapes inserted into his stomach vagina to represent the program. But, I mean, this is basically like some... There is one line that the fucking glasses boss has about how it's like, we make glasses and also missile guidance system. And I feel like that one line is supposed to be like the thread we unravel and we're like, ooh, we can just pin this all on like yeah. crazy mil- anti-Cold like Cold War militarization stuff. 
the grand idea, like they want to get this television station. So they really just have to get Max out of the way to gain control of this television station. I really uh, if like they, they did that, then there, there would have to be a bunch of people in vans running around tossing Betamax tapes into everybody's stomachs to reprogram them. Like well, they have to go find these people. This was That's such a roundabout way a lot of getting infrastructure that needs to be set up. Well, I think the mm-hmm. idea is that once they have it on the airwaves, then they, it's not a matter of inserting a tape because the, the tape thing and the gun thing and all that was pretty clearly hallucinatory, except when he exploded Harlan because that he totally exploded the shit out of that building. But um, the thing about that was it was Act Three, so. We had rules in Act 1 and 2, but by Act 3, I mean, what are you going to fucking do? You want rules in Act 3? Yeah, I mean, you could say that there that may have been an explosion. I mean, people outside seemed a little bit, I mean, again, reality subjective. This is the whole thing of, like, this is what the show is saying. But, yeah, like, the Videodrome, the tapes that he was shown, he was, it was the literal thing that was happening with him with, let me start over. Harlan and Barry were showing him the tapes in order to program him. And then once they had access to his station, then they would broadcast the signal and then they could program anybody to become whatever they want. Now, I think Brian Oblivion's whole thing was that he's like, I want to, I want to use the signal to make people more aware, but that's really not like, that's the part that I'm confused about is like Brian Oblivion made the signal in order to give people new organs, but his buddies also say that, his daughter says that she thinks the signal was created by the tumor and that that's where like the original Videodrome tapes come from. And then the like the cancer is then transmitted through the tapes. Yes. Yeah. Well, they say if you watch it, you get a brain tumor. Yeah. So this is this is this is what was, I guess, this playing is us in, trying in to this man's truly... head unravel the plot of Videodrome and it's not going great. Here's the really important (laughs) question to me. Is uh, is Masha dead or is she alive still? She finds some way. I I think she finds a waiter she was making eyes at. I want Masha like I need the spinoff of Masha the pornographer detective. I would love that. Masha the pornographer detective and then like Brawly takes over the um, the spectacular optical or whatever. Because... Yeah, we didn't mention okay. Brawly really Brawley. in the recap. Brawly was Alicia's favorite character, and she yes. wanted she very specifically asked all of us to talk about him. We have Brawley to. Is... I have to. I have Brawly in my notes. We have to talk yeah. about Brawly. Yeah, he's a, a Jamaican man who works at the storefront for the glasses store. We only meet him one time as James Wood is Woods is preparing to kill this man. Turns out to not be there. He is a spectacularly helpful glasses salesman who is also incredibly personable, which is really noticeable in a movie full of James Wood. I really (laughs) tried. I could not. He's not in the other credits. I couldn't find IMDb. I really did try to find out who the actor that played Brawley was because I really wanted to know, was this a Jamaican actor or did David Cronenberg tell the one person of color in this film to do a super over-the-top Jamaican accent? I mean, this movie And I feel is... it's really important, because I, I, I feel like it matters a lot on which one it was. Yeah. Uh, Toronto is a, is a melting pot, but also I don't have to give 
Cronenberg any credit like, based on his his writing of the line while they're watching the the Oriental porn in the beginning. They say straight up Oriental sex. Yeah, that is yeah. a line in the yeah. movie. They don't just say Oriental sex. I'm so sorry. You know, I'm saying sorry. Yes, yeah, so we're sorry. Yeah. We're should we? Sorry. But bleep this out, Alicia. Bleep bleep us, okay. please. I mean, we're, we're this don't. Is what I don't know what our film. policy is. They say it in the movie. Oh, well, yeah. this is not going what great bad. <laughs> <laughs> they say oriental sex is unnatural in the film, which is said by a guy who is probably as crappy as James Woods. Is. Yeah. Where do they think uh, all of Asia comes from? But yeah, totally unnecessary line. Oh my yeah. god. But I don't I don't like it it's you don't need that there. Nothing nothing necessity. A few more things about this character, who is only credited as Japanese pornographer, he is played by David Subuchi, who story. was a former politician in Ontario. So, had to answer for there. appearing in this movie a lot, apparently. Yeah. Oh, God. That makes a lot of sense. He probably regret. He probably greatly regrets doing this movie. Also, one of my favorite moments in the movie is when he goes like, no, you can't watch my porn out of order. You won't understand the story. I mean, I feel I feel for that man. I feel for both those men. I am curious what the storyline was that led to the, what, part 13 that they watched? Yeah, yeah 13 just... part porno series. Yeah. Where the girl well, apparently... apparently samurai doll and then presumably uses it pleasure herself. Yeah. Well, it's, um, it's I'm basically sorry, a, a dildo with kimono on it. A apparently yeah. heavily serialized 13-part porn series. Yeah. And yeah. it's, I mean, it so, is classy. I did find a it very important piece of information. Brawley is played by Henry Gomez, who is known professionally as King Cosmos. He is a Trinidadian and Tobago Canadian musician. Actor, oh, in that case, fucking fantastic. Born and raised in, in case... Princess Town, Trinidad. In this case, Brawley's the fucking man. Co Brawley. Hell yeah. So yeah, Canada's best yeah Brawley. Caribbean music. Okay. We're good. Cronenberg, you're good in our book. Way to be, Cronenberg. Well, you're doing good, good Crony. Brawley. Yeah. You're doing D work, Crony. But, but <laughs> as an employee, Brawley needs a, a raise and a promotion. And like he's probably the only person keeping that glasses front going. Yeah. Those, However much they are spending for that fucking convention. That what convention kind of great. fucking Wolf of Wall Street Coke party fucking like cabaret convention thing is this? I want more a stage show dancing at the conventions that I go to. That would be great. I was very happy to see that it was was men and women and and the men had the Yo, that was the, their artist alley. Chest hair coming out. It's great. Yeah, yeah. This there Very was a, there was at I least the equality of that gaze. I think of that moment. Uh, the producer sticking the videotape into James Woods is probably the queerest thing we've gotten in a, like in any of our Cronenberg movies so far. <laughs> I okay. So there's that scene where James Woods invites Harlan or where Max invites Harlan over. I'm just calling him James Woods. I don't care. Sure. Yeah, he invites Harlan over and. He's like, did I do a murder? And Harlan's like, 
No, I have my SLR camera, which is interesting that you would want SLR for this evidence because I would have to develop that film. Like I wouldn't know immediately unless I knew, unless I saw, fuck, I don't know. Anyway, I don't know what, there's a lot of crazy logic. But then they have an argument. And then as they de-escalate the argument, James Wood's like, okay, I'll tell you what's going on. Just please meet me at the lab. I'm so sorry I yelled at you. And then Harlan's like, oh, no, it's I'm, I'm sorry I, I, I freaked out. And they're like, yeah, I don't work with you for the money. Oh, yeah, no, it's cool, dude. I mean, we like, you want coffee? Actually, no, let's let's. And it's this very like randomly human moment in this movie where everyone's like, I'll live the new. Well, also, like they talk about like satellite pirates. And before you get like your twist reveal that Harlan works for Videodrome, it really implies that there's like this whole 80s VHS hackers type subculture going on in video. I mean, there is. There was, which would have been cool. That's that's true. I just really liked how deep into maybe this is just me being like, I saw hackers. So therefore, any kind of hacking reminds me of the movie hackers. I mean, that's that's valid. Getting real boss baby vibes. (laughs) (laughs) But by far my favorite part about that scene is Harlan being like, I know I'm hallucinating. I therefore need a second unbiased, non-hallucinating opinion. And yet when told I'm hallucinating, I will refuse to believe it. Yeah. I'm like, you called him there. You know you can't be, your eyes can't be trusted. And yet you're still like, like James Woods, what the fuck are you doing? That's Jesus. why you called him. Why are you arguing with him? For the kind of asshole and like misogynistic bastard he is, he sure yes ands a lot. Oh man, he is so unrepentantly, like, just such a fucking sleaze ball. Like, there is just so much casual workplace harassment that isn't commented on. It's just ground. This movie yeah. been ten been made ten years later. That would be Dennis Miller in that part. Oh my god, it, it absolutely would have been Dennis Miller. Also, like, I do I, want to point out, Emily, you said he was Manchurian candidate, but seeing as Manchurian, Materia is a region of China. I think he was actually Ontarian candidate. Oh, yeah. Sorry. And, like, you know, Manch- Manchurian candidate is a misnomer and it's not. Yeah, it's a it's an outdated term. Candidate. I was yeah. like, watching the Ontarian candidate is actually pretty good. Cronenberg <laughs> writes and the way James Woods plays it. I can only imagine what like a godsend revelation Jeff Goldblum must have been for Cronenberg. Like, I would love to see Cronenberg the first time he saw Jeff Goldblum, where he's like, finally, someone who can make this character type likable. Some good fucking food. Yeah, like, you know, it's like he's writing the same kind of like nervous tics character, but whereas, like, there is like not super likable, but still just like undeniably charismatic and charming coming from Goldblum, it is just pure fucking greasy stuff leaves coming from james woods i mean it's appropriate though like he again is that character 100 percent. and again like Ugh. this isn't again it needs to be likable because the fly is supposed to be a tragedy even if i don't think it really pulls off those elements so like as well as it should this movie doesn't want you feeling bad for james woods no it really doesn't and it doesn't have sympathy for him yeah yeah he might be the protagonist but it gives you no reason to want to necessarily root for him, especially as like he isn't a character with agency. He just keeps getting ping pong between these like mind control conspiracies. He is very dumb of ass in a in a bad way. 
because you know there's a lot of very charming characters that are out there that are that are dumb of ass but also big of heart he, he is, is not either he his heart he is has no heart his heart is his gotten. heart is as small as his mind <laughs> only thing he's capable of loving is debbie harry and a tv set which god we've all been there right okay we again big mood great <laughs> loves debbie harry and a tv set debbie harry goes to pittsburgh to audition for videodrome a what does she think an audition for videodrome is like does she think this is something she needs her agent to set up and this see, is, are they actually even doing shit in Pittsburgh? I thought that was just a lie they told James Woods. What the fuck is she going to find in Pittsburgh? I think she was in on it. Like, I think she was she was part of it. Or she was, like, immediately secreted away by Barry or something. Because, I mean, they, it, Bianca told Max that they killed her. Who the fuck knows? Because Bianca's, like, also got crazy video drone powers. And to, to focus... She essentially programs spin- Max to kill himself. Like, yeah, I need the spinoff that just before that, Debbie Harry wandering Pittsburgh, asking bemused, confused Pittsburgh locals where the torture porn studio is. <laughs> you mean where the where the Steelers play now? <laughs> Why Pittsburgh? They put so much focus on that. It's filmed in Pittsburgh. She's she's effectively as a character out of the movie, unfortunately really yeah. early yeah uh, i do would have been nice to have her show up in the flash more yeah. often oh yeah because uh, I, I enjoyed her character. She's the only person who seemed like seemed like more of a real person it had had like her own thoughts before meeting max slash james woods like she she knew what she was into i didn't get the the read that she was into or that that she was involved with Video drone, but that's totally okay. possible. You know, I, 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 I mostly just bought that she went to go find video drone. Maybe Masha and her teamed up for the detective. Detective is the movie I want to see. Yeah, for sure. Because oh, it's really weird because we we cut away from James Woods harassing Masha after telling her that he won't air her classy Dionysus and Apollo porn, which looks like actually really cool you know it's like a you I know watch that with the curtains drawn hell yeah like you know some cool shit that one was unfortunately not on the on the blu-ray they had the the whole of the the samurai dreams video on did there. they fucking really holy shit they did yeah yeah, yeah. That's, that's awesome also this is a very niche joke alicia if you cut this i'll super get it one of the producers is pierre david who i immediately thought oh that's the writer of french hulk and <laughs> le factor x is that true is that like a thing no i'm just making fun of it. it's like pierre david that must be french peter david yeah so he just oh. does all the things peter david does but french that is a niche joke but i yeah, very niche joke alicia you should probably <laughs> cut this it's a great the joke Francaise. it's a great joke for the right yeah. Which is important because you need, you know, multilingual signage in Canada and it has to be in French. Anyway, so so speaking of racism, did anyone catch the line about the, the James Woods uses about how in Brazil you can get executed for making crazy videos like underground videos? So in Pittsburgh, who knows? Yeah. Like, I mean I have I'm the not same sure feelings about Pittsburgh. Of that line is, right? 
Like, is that a slam on Pittsburgh or, or Brazil? Yeah, I don't know. There's, I know that there's racism in there, but like, like a lot of but things in this movie, who? I'm like, hold, I gotta really like reach in there to find that that gun. Is that like? It's like, well, that's what they'll do to you in Brazil. So imagine the fucking degenerates in Pittsburgh. Like what? I mean, the only thing worse would be being tortured. So basically, for making video drone, you will be video droned. Yeah, which is the self-propagating machine. Video drone is a flat circle. (laughs) It is. Like time. Oh, long live the new true detective Um, season. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so like James Woods is harassing Masha after like being really, really dismissive of her. And then he's like, oh, I'll I'll fuck you if you do this thing for me. I'll play your show. And she's like, oh, my God, "Um, excuse (laughs) you. That's cute. Anyway, she asks he or excuse me, he asks her these questions. And then fucking Nikki is like, I know exactly who they are and I'm going to go see them tomorrow. And then he's like. You can't forget the best part of the Masha scene of that scene with Masha at lunch when she says, like, you're too old for me, James Woods, and then just eye bangs the fuck out of the waiter. Oh, bless her heart. Amazing. Bless her heart. Masha's my fucking hero. Yeah. Yeah. Like, super in charge, doesn't take shit, classy as fuck. I need more of this porno detective gamelf. Yes. She and Nikki. Cronenberg, I will buy the license from Masha off you. Can I do that? <laughs> Masha, Masha and Nikki solve the porn crimes of the future. Ooh, but that one's that, that sounds taken, like a so. Skinamax crime procedural. And I would write and I would both either write or watch it. Or both. You know, it's important to be yes. able to watch your own material. I know they say, oh, I can't. I know people like say, oh, I can't read my own stuff. I hate my own stuff. Fuck it. My stuff fucking rules. Love reading it. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Also, always remember to make sure that you have the IP rights to your own dreams and your vagina because David Cronenberg can be your dream recorder or your gynecologist. Man, and yeah, so, he was, that's right. It was him in the, as like with the helmet on. I don't think he was. I don't think it was David Cronenberg. Was David Cronenberg with the helmet? Yeah, because the, they yeah. were they were too afraid James Woods was going to get shocked with the helmet on. So David Cronenberg was like, well, "I'll put it on." Oh, just like Jeff Goldblum, I wouldn't tell you to do anything I wouldn't do myself. Well, I didn't know that. Of was course, the you know he wanted just, to get in the pulsating meat helmet. Oh, I'm but sure. Something yeah, that was, I, was I mentioned just, a couple times in in commentaries was that James Woods was apparently very paranoid during the entire making of the movie and. And I was always thinking people were out to get him. So James Wood, I guess, has never changed. But yeah, that that it was stated by the by Cronenberg that James Woods would not put on the helmet because he was he was concerned that it was going to electrocute him. And like all sorts of people put it on and they were like, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. So he eventually refused to put it on. So yeah, that's Cronenberg in the helmet. And then Later, he when he's whipping the TV, he was supposed to be whipping it in a puddle of water, but also refused to do that because perhaps more reasonably thought he would be electrocuted. It, is James Woods just afraid specifically of electrocution? It's, like, it's possible. Did a fortune teller tell James Woods when he was like 11 that he was going to like be electrocuted to death and now wherever he goes? Yes, it's just, he's just he's watching is out. That- is uh, that but, the answer to the James Woods riddle? 
No. Funnily enough, there's a, there's a Woods commentary where he does not mention that he was not wearing the helmet and conveniently <laughs> tells you stories about wearing the helmet. No, what I had to say it was simply yeah. like, I guess maybe this is what they do for more big budget stuff or, you know, I guess more hollywood type things. I just assumed it was like, oh, well, we don't see his face, so let's not pay our most expensive actor for this scene. There you go. We don't need him. Say like shit. Say I. I assumed it was purely a money making like way to like try to save a few bucks off of uh, James Woods. Like purely, uh, purely a, like, a Woods paranoia thing. So like, I didn't way know better. James Woods That's was way that better than mine. Paranoid though. But why don't like you, we have VR helmets that look like that? Like, there's no reason that we don't have that. And I think that that I I feel sad. I feel like I have been betrayed by the future. Oh, if, but, oh, if only the helmets had looked like that, the metaverse would have taken off. <laughs> I well, actually, those things are fun. Did you? Did any of you ever play the old VR with the old like cathode screens? No, I think I did at like Disneyland. They had like I mean, a whole VR park at Disney World or Disney, whichever one's in Florida. Yeah. I played a virtual boy, but that was never actually like VR. <laughs> no, I did play a VR game. There were like two VR games at this place. There's this place in San Francisco called Cybermind, which. Of course. Used to, yeah. Which is where people go to play Shadowrun or something. It's not there anymore. It's really sad. But they had like the little platforms and. They had the VR helmets that are sort of the the, um, the ancestors of the the Oculus Rift and shit. But these things were super heavy. Like they, you'd have to hold them up with one hand and then your other hand would be like doing the, the gun or whatever. And I played Dactyl Nightmare and it was some of the most vertigo I've ever experienced in my life. And I've been on top of a of a plateau, looking down on the on the desert of Utah, like straight down. Oh shit! Utah's got good deserts. Utah's deserts are beautiful, and I was happy to be there. I hold on to the tree, and I was like, I could step and fall to my death, but I'm having a very spiritual moment with the, with the Earth right now. The the VR system did not have that. There was no new flesh or old flesh. It was just. I mean, it was cool. I felt really fucking cyberpunk. Like, I felt like I could hear the synths and, you know, there was like a bunch of neon. I, I want to go back to Harlan. Yes. Because I specifically want to get back to like, him. like, we're entering savage times. We need to be pure and strong. Motherfucker, it is 1983. You are just going to vote for Reaganomics for the next 30 years and be fucking fine. Shut yeah. the fuck up. Yeah. I, I don't know what. These are the dark times. Motherfucker, it's the mid-80s. It was fine. Nothing bad happened in North America in the mid-80s. It was a downright hedonistic and hubris time. I mean, there was say nothing bad happened worldwide. I'm I know. I'm just saying. Oh, like, so there, there was, you know, the AIDS crisis and also Ninja Turtles. But I mean, this guy's acting like he's like, we're entering the age of Sauron and World War Two is going to happen. It's like, no, you're in Toronto in the mid 80s. Just do do some coke and relax. Shut the fuck up. That is valid. What you've just said is valid because he really was like, you know, we're all going to explode tomorrow. And I'm like, yeah, the the Cold War was like in full swing. And, and, you know, um, the benefit of hindsight, we know like it was fine for now. Oh, yeah. At least then it was fine. We'll see how we do with this decade. That's the thing about this movie that is so crazy to me is that, I mean, it is basically 
predicting social media and all the problems of social media without ever thinking, without ever taking into account the internet or computers or anything. It's just satellite V8 or Betamax tapes and like hallucinatory chest stomach vaginas. You can't expect it to have predicted the internet. It's not Demolition Man, a movie that did successfully predict the internet. A quite lot a of movies. Later. Quite a bit later, though. Yeah. Yes, I, I just, mean, lo- I I just love bringing up how much Demolition Man fucking nailed about the future. There's I, a I lot was of thinking of this whole uh, setup as like a like analog 4chan. This is what people were doing to be assholes back in the the, the early 80s, late 70s. You had, yeah. you had to actually trade things in real life in some ways. So this movie, not to a degree as other movies, but it does have a little bit going on of something that I've noticed a lot, which is where the premise of what's going on before horror shit happens and fuck shit up is also is sometimes more interesting than the horror premise. And that's not the case with this one, but I kind of would love a movie where it's like, you know, just these like high, this like super low rent underdog TV network with like in the era of broadcast by, you know, satellite pirates and VHS craziness. And I don't know. It's like you said, that subculture did exist and an, a movie that did just actually focus on it. Like, you know, the halt and catch fire of V of VHS broadcast piracy. Like there, that would be cool. There's a there is a lot of DNA that this shares with Max Headroom, which combines the the computer with like the TV and talking about like mass media as opposed to the the computer internet thing at the at that time was more like a point to point thing. You know, we had the war games internet. You know, we had the idea of you know, geeks using computers and, and, you know, you have to be like a very niche person to be able to use a computer to the extent of being able to use the intranet. Whereas the the proje- prediction was that the the mass media was mostly going to be ingested through television. And Max Headroom is interesting. And I was going to, I'm just going to say it's one of my recommendations because it has a lot of the same kind of cyberpunk mass media commentary while being fun and not gross and not involving James Woods. And in this in this yes. show slash movie, Max Hedroom, the, the character Max is played by Matt Frewer, who plays a CGI character, but he's not actually CGI because the CGI wasn't good enough yet. So it's just him in makeup in front of a weird laser screen. But Max Hedroom is so of its time. And it's I mean, so is Videodrome. Like Videodrome has that same commentary and is also on the mark when it comes to discussing the the people's relationship with media and reality, you know, and also showing that that shit was there before we had social media. Like Facebook is a is a problem, but it it is part of a bigger problem, which is people not being able to determine what is real from media and the the like irresponsibility of portrayal in media you know and and media people who produce media not having not taking responsibility for the the work that they create which is a is a very fraught and complex issue because i'm not saying that 
media is, you know, entirely at fault or people are entirely at fault, which is something that, that comes up all the time when people talk about like how media affects people. You know, my, I, I talked earlier about how my folks were both professors at Sac State. They both were in the comms program and they both taught classes about com mass communication. So it's something that I, it, this is a question and a subject that I've been growing up with. And it's really fascinating to me to see. And I probably saw some video drum before I should have, because it definitely was something that was on topic with all of the stuff that my folks were researching. To me, because I feel like some of the concept of this movie is David Cronenberg taking the concepts and ideas and stuff that have been leveled against him about how media affects people in the real world and being like, okay, but like, what if that was real? Like, like what if, what if that was actually true that like stuff you watched on TV really fucked you up, you know, the way that people think it does. And then like, just ran with that as the concept of his movie, which is, is pretty wild because I feel like the movie make makes this assumption that that is how it works, which I think is pretty clearly not Cronenberg's actual like feelings on the, the matter. There yeah, is. yeah, that was a, a stated a stated goal of his too. With that, he he received so much criticism from from people for his past gory movies, and, and this you know takes the tack. I mean, there's the part of the movie where they're like, "Well, you, James Woods, you you watched this. Why did you watch this? Why did you want to watch this?" He's yes, sort of asking that of of an audience now in his what fifth or sixth movie of like, "Hey, why did you watch all those previous movies?" And and you know constantly getting that criticism of like oh you you make terrible gross things and that's going to to harm society and and, and yeah he took that and and yeah basically said you know what if what if that were true i have to imagine that somebody making making the movies that cronenberg did up till this point doesn't think that he is actively trying to destroy society i i would hope yeah. that's not his goal but, but, but yeah, taking that and, and expanding that into a, a, what if, what if it did? Well, and, and he mentions that the most, the closest he comes to acknowledging where, where he is on that is the, probably the, the only thing that James Wood's character says that is reasonable, which is, you know, giving people an outlet is fine. Like, you, you know, art is an outlet and media is an outlet. Like, you know, that is definitely you know better on tv than on the street right but context is important you know i i just wonder about this movie's place in because this movie all about like oh if you consume media you will live out that at media how much of that was a thing that was being thrown at cronenberg as a general moral panic versus the degree to which video games a medium that did not really fully exist yet when this movie or at least did in extremely limited ways when this movie came out the way that the question of do violent video games make people violent would be the subject of so much social you know cultural debate and topic of scientific study yeah and i just wonder about the movie's inadvertent place in a conversation that didn't start until after this movie was made well, I mean, I can imagine people criticizing the movies just being in general critical of violence and weird shit in movies. And they're it's probably true. more critical. Ace code, motherfuckers. Yeah, they're probably more critical of the sex in Cronenberg movies than it is like, I don't know. It's 
it's weird. It's weird sex and therefore bad, you know. And I think that that hypocrisy is is also addressed both with James Woods's character being like, oh, yeah, all this crazy shit needs to be super crazy. I want to see torture porn. I want to see a blah, blah, blah. But the second that somebody is like really into weird shit, he's super weirded out. Like the second that Nikki is like, I'm I'm into knife play. And he's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You know, meanwhile, he's hawking this like torture porn that very well could be real. But he just assumes that it isn't because like, who would do that? Which is a, a naivete that a lot of actual television producers utilize when they're, you know, when they're they're hawking problematic content. I, but I also, always find very interesting when they're watching it, when he's like, oh, I wonder how they're doing those special effects. And she is just like glued in truly into the murder porn. Yeah. And then, then later on, when they talk about his channel, when when Barry and Harlan are talking about how they want Channel 83, they're talking about how fucking awful and gross and scummy it is. But then it is the, their number one objective because they know that it's necessary. And while it's that that specific, as much as everything else is explained and and elaborated upon with metaphor and shit like that, that hypocrisy of like, we think that this is gross as fuck, but we need it. We're going to judge it, but use it, you know, is, I think, another point uh, being made about the judgment of that kind of stuff. Because, like, my question is this. How do you know that somebody is emulating a Cronenberg movie? I think it's when they fuse the radiator to the fly puppet. Yes. How many news reports have there been about a child sees the fly and turns himself inside out with a radiator? Again, I remember the great moral panic of my childhood was about the Mortal Kombat games. And I remember being like seven. And watching mm-hmm. these news reports and being like, motherfucker, how am I supposed to freeze people? My dad went on TV to talk about that shit. He was like a, con- a, a consultant about the think- Mortal Kombat. If playing video games makes me super good at martial arts, so we've got a whole other thing to worry about. Yeah. Nicky, how many people are apparently trained as plumbers now? Yeah, Def- Convex is... is- using that whole thing against the people who are into it. And when he puts the VR helmet on James Woods, he's like, I got to leave the room, the weird stuff. I I can't deal with the weird stuff. Yes. Uh, But if he's not hallucinating, he's not going to see any weird stuff. He's going to see James Woods stumbling around and and mumbling at people who aren't there. But like my, my guess is that he is a like, doth protest too much kind of politician. They, you know, the, the, the people who are, are, are very gay panic about everything are the ones mm-hmm. who are, have the biggest secrets because they just mm-hmm. can't tell anybody. I, I'm imagining that Convex is like, this is terrible. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's left the room to go watch whatever he's into. Yeah. Yeah. Or he's left the room to actually watch the recorded dream because he can't watch it right there because it's boring. And just watching James Woods go, Ugh. Yeah, whatever. Uh, in like the spectrum that they in in the beginning, you know, the the spectrum that James Woods's TV channel is supposed to cover is softcore pornography to hardcore violence, which is not a full yeah. spectrum, but it's a very no. American cable spectrum of things that you can watch. Yeah, I mean, wow. you yeah. see, the channel channel eighty three does seem to be like 
one step barely above like public access. Sure. And, and at this time, like cable, cable was just starting to, to happen as a, like small channels could be broadcast further out than they could before. So it, it basically is a time of public access channels trying to get big. I love the scene where Masha has with James Woods, which is like, have you ever thought about producing your own television show? And he has this passion like, well, me? No, I couldn't. And I was like, is that another spinoff plot where James Woods makes his own softcore porn? And it's just like, I don't know. I guess at this point, a softcore porn like sports manga where he has to compete against other softcore porn people. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> Toronto doesn't have the film structure, the, the, the film industry that Pittsburgh does. No, oh, yeah. Like you, you just can't. No get way those you could make that in Toronto. Nondescript right. clay pits anywhere. Like that's a Pittsburgh staple. <laughs> I mean, you talk about the pit is. You talk about a location being a character unto itself, and the way that <laughs> Pittsburgh. Haven't you seen Pittsburgh? You've been to Pittsburgh where they have the clay wall that's electrified, and they whip you. Yeah, they get one of right there baby. in the Pirate Stadium. Yeah, that's the Theodrome well, right there. Welcome to Carnegie Mellon. And the, 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 the S&M in the movie is, is kind of uh, tangential. It just yeah. is the type of thing that, that you can make people watch in this fiction of the, of the movie. It's the type of thing that creates the right environment for your body to, to change. It's some sort of adrenaline, some sort of whatever happens in your body when you're watching this. So it, it could have been, it could have been anything. It could have been puppet yeah. shows. It could have been, <laughs> yeah, it could have been. Nothing. Yeah. What I do think this movie is like on a thematic level. And I think, you know, we saw with Fly and Crimes of the Future. I think it's an interesting argument of like the ide like identity being tied to the physical self. That if the physical changes, like the soul changes, it's like the identity changes. There's no like, soul that transcends physicality like the physical and the identity are are intrinsically intertwined seems to be the argument that runs through all of that no insect yeah. politicians <laughs> i was an insect man i would man take an insect it. politician over some of the motherfuckers that are running this year some of the i'm sure some of them are insects just at least have the morality well, of them yeah Although that's, that's, which I, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, we don't want to hate on insects. Like who knows? Insects might be. That's true. We, I think we're giving insects a bad rap here. Yeah. Bees. I'm just I taking Jeff Goldblum's word for it. I believe anything Jeff Goldblum says. So I know that's why I believe so much in chaos theory. Butterfly flaps its wings. That butterfly was a politician. And therefore we have rain in, in Pittsburgh instead of sunshine. And it electrifies the clay wall. Also, there are ant like and bee queens. How does that yeah. factor into the insect politician? They're, debate? They do have politics. politicians. They're royalty. That's true, but they do have. There are politicians. I mean, like bee queens. There's hives will split. There is such bee, thing. Anyway, civil war, <laughs> iron beavers, hornet America. Harkening back to Candyman. Oh boy, murder hornets. I do have to say. I think we've talked a little bit about racial and social justice in this movie. I do think that it we didn't knows talk about the man with the dancing monkey and the batteries. That's, what was up was, with that? That's too? the last thing. Yeah, but yeah. There is sorry, no I'm sorry monkey. for interrupting. The dancing monkey is the TV. I, that's you my know, that's my last like 
what the fuck i need we need to talk about this weird ass moment before we get into the like the big themes i'm sorry i know yeah. i'm an asshole jeremy i do apologize <laughs> no we we said we'd talk about street vagrant number one and his tv which he refers to as a dancing monkey and then he which... keeps calling james woods teddy it's the batteries they don't work in the cold i is that how batteries work i feel like it might but i'm too lazy to look it up batteries are not great in the cold oh okay. no. towards the end of the movie the uh, the man who looks like Paul F. Tompkins. It's just such like. Does he look like Paul F. Tompkins? Kind of does. I, like, it's, I just don't like. Was that always in the script, or was Cronenberg filming it? And he's just like the scene. There's too much quiet. It's going on too long. We need something to break it up. You, vag- Toronto vagrant, give me some local color. Pretty sure that was an actor, but yeah, like that guy. I, yeah, that part, the part where it's an actor, yeah, the part where it's an actual homeless person is definitely not true. I don't even know why I went down that imaginary tangent. Sidewalk derelict, played by Sam Malkin. That's the nice thing about having TVs that have really low volume is that you can actually charge people for looking at them as opposed to you know people looking at them from across the street, which is one of those things where I'm like, yeah, the monkey dances, but I mean, I guess that's I know. mean. That's it all works in this kind of like TV. I don't know. Is it a little bit like TV equals drug, but TV also equals religious awe equals reality. TV is everything. Just the cathode tube. Like this movie really gets away with like the theme of the movie is movies. And I'm, yeah. And I find myself hard pressed to argue. <laughs> it's the it's elements of it that are asking the question wouldn't this be fucked up when it's like everyday shit is what's really fascinating to me like the whole idea of you know your media personality being more real than your your you know personality i will say that particular theme i thought perfect blue did like oh yeah like I, i feel like the themes are always there but the core thought is like, man, wouldn't it be fucking weird if a dude turned into a fly? Yeah. Well, and but there's also the the bit in this movie where Debbie Harry's character talks about how we live in overstimulated times and everybody's always overstimulated and always getting too much information and too much emotional input and all that kind of stuff. And she thinks that's bad, which seems pretty obviously like a you know an answer that she is paid to to reply because she herself is you know she admits she's like i'm always i'm overstimulated all the time i i don't know how else to live you know that's she the, acknowledges at least that that's a that's a thing that was the moment on the talk show where james woods like asks her out and they're flirting like right there on the talk show where i'm like this is all coming across so scummy if it was gold bloom it would be so fucking charming with some with yeah, some modified was... dialogue not not the same dialogue but the yeah. general, like, James Woods, that's going to be scummy no matter the, the dialogue. You give Goldblum the right dialogue and he is making that talk show, ask the other guest out on the date, like, work in that kind of, like, charming, eccentric, rogue, slightly Bill Murray in the 80s type. But the, here's the thing, too, is that James Woods is the is a producer. He is the president of this Channel 83 so he knows how much of a pain in the ass it is when you're on live television having a conversation while the host is trying to have a conversation with another guest. No or matter TV whether that guest is on a TV or not or on Zoom or not, you know, like it's fucking shitty to be sitting there and it's like unprofessional. And he knows that because he has to know that. So like it just adds context to how shitty of a character he is. 
And, you know, and, and Nikki is taking it like a champ where she's like, I know you suck. I'm still going to play with you, but you suck. You suck dick, dude, in, in a bad way. And I can imagine that. are like she... Reese's. There's no bad way to suck it. I imagine it is like her James I just wanted to make that. Run. I just wanted to make that Reese's peanut butter cup joke. Sorry, well, Jason, that, what did that, you that say? Part of why she left is that, you know, he, he seemed like he was into these things. Seemed like he was ready for it. And then like once he started, you know, she wanted to do the cigarette burn. She wanted to do it herself. And then he he was freaked out about that. Uh and, and yeah. for that bad reaction. You know, why why would that character go back into James Woods' life? He turned out to be relatively square. Yeah. In, in his thinking. And and the idea that he wanted to see this stuff. And then once it's actually presented to you, it's somehow not what you wanted or not what you thought it would be yeah yeah he was not expecting her agency in that situation and he was you know expecting a like kind of a weird flex and then she just flexed all over him and he's like oh (laughs) i mean the kind of thing that that could produce you know a sort of obsession with that in a in that type of character of like your lady who you know came and and you know destroyed me now i'm obsessed with her and i i get to see her in in tvs and and all that so yeah i i wouldn't want to go hang out with him again after after that encounter so it makes sense that she disappears yeah off to find something cooler like the people who run video drill yeah hopefully she isn't actually dead and and it's just brianna or bianca or whatever her name is just bianca fucking with james woods i do think like that that leads to an interesting thing for me, which I, I think on our points of progressive politics here, I feel like both from the feminism angle of the, the way that women are portrayed and the men are portrayed in this, as well as from a racism angle, there's a lot of like racism that happens in this movie and scummy dude shit that happens in this movie that like, it seems like plot wise, the movie realizes bad. Nobody ever really calls it out or is like, this is, these people are shitty and doing shitty things. But I feel like from context, you're like, oh, these people are shitty and they do shitty things. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to say, like, you know, the sort of generalizing of the, this porn as being oriental. And then, you know, this, the general way that the character of Max treats women, period. I think the, the movie seems to know that it's shitty and bad, but it's never like, specifically called out as like an, an issue that's not a theme of the movie i don't know that's what do you guys think about that you think oh go ahead that that no one no one who's i mean really all a person corrupted in this movie you know is max but he's already started out at a a corrupted state nobody's come into this movie as like oh they're the person who's a good person and they get corrupted by this video drum thing that would seem to be the greater contrast of that would be, you know, a more a more on theme contrast for a story of like here is this good person, you know, mentally destroyed by Videodrome, but he's he's taking somebody who was already a scumbag and and making them, you know, hallucinate to the point of of madness. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I guess Ben. Yeah, I mean, I know so definitely edit this uh edit all this dead fucking air out it's all good i mean 
I don't think I don't know how this movie is feminist. Like I feel like if this movie is feminist, like oh, it shows James Wood slapping a bunch of women, but he was just hallucinating it, so not really. Which, by the way, I did not enjoy James Wood slapping women. I'm like ah. That, I just already don't, I'm biased against James Woods. I don't like seeing that. Yeah, well, I do feel like the movie is very aware of how shitty he is and how shitty these characters are because it gives, I mean, immediately when he gets the pizza sauce on the photos, His I think you already- His pizza crust and porn. Yeah. And those are nice photos, but like, I think we we are introduced to him as being just a total full of himself asshole. And, you know, and and no part of him is endearing. And I do think that the women go ahead. I said, just like the real thing. Yeah, exactly. And then the women in the movie are a lot more interesting as characters. And the only interesting moment to me in the whole, like everything that Max is about is his very vulnerable moment with Harlan. Like that's the most human part of that character that I saw. Um, Harlan stands up for a healthy work-life balance. So you just can't order me around outside of work hours. I'm like, yeah, Harlan, power to the workers. I think it's kind of a a lowest lowest bar and a wrong focus sort of feminist movie in that we we can look at the the women characters in the movie. They Mm -hmm. are generally all better and more with it and more aware of what's going on than the the male characters in the movie but the movie is about the male characters yeah the the women so there's the the talk show host is trying to keep things on track there's nikki who knows what she wants and once she knows she's not going to get it from james wood she goes off to somewhere else disappears from the movie there's masha who knows what she's doing and is a badass Mm -hmm. and oh bianca uh, yeah ultimately the hero of the movie to some extent yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, she's been. She I, must be mixing those oblivion interviews when they're doing live TV. She has to put yeah. in some sort of tape that says something vaguely relevant. To she's the, like, "What up, I'm DJ question. Ghost Dad?" She's got like <laughs> mix it up, my dad. She's she's switching between and doing like the Batman wiki wiki CD kind of thing. Wiki my, wiki cathode. <laughs> I. I like this movie. Would I recommend this movie? Yes. I think the, this movie would be much better in every way if Nikki is the main character. Yes. Yeah. Like, I think that is absolutely. just a better story with a more compelling character that would inherently explore more interesting themes. Yeah. And- I, I think that the Semixon is a recurring problem I have with Cronenberg's staff is like the main characters, and we'll see this again with the brood next week are often the scummy dudes that are experiencing stuff with, you know, while dealing with their semi-angelic female counterparts. Yeah. And that is a good point all about the, the fact that these movies are sort of the lowest bar of feminism by just making the women seem better because we're, and you know, that can also backfire because at a certain point it just typecasts the, the women characters, right? where they aren't complete characters, they are ideals. I think in this movie, that isn't so much of a problem because you have a variety, you know, and, and Masha and Nikki seem to have very real and, and big 
wants and all that kind of stuff like they, there's more to them and you know that but it's still not about them which is and they, what we they don't want they don't save the day or anything they don't yeah they're, they're not they're not compelling james woods to do anything good they're they're just doing their own their own goals yeah so they're, they're not, just putting up with him for a minute but yeah and because the story is not about them we don't see the you know whatever shitty things they're up to like they're people, they're people too. They got something going on, but yeah, it is it's interesting. It's interesting to me. And I don't know how much this was ever his intention. And this is us putting a lot of stuff on David Cronenberg, how a lot of these early movies of his like Videodrome and the fly are about like kind of scummy guys trying to like find this thing that's going to be like really great and make their lives great. And they're going to, like, do great things and the women who have to deal with them. Whereas, like, Crimes of the Future is about a guy who's great and all the women just want, like, a part of him and they want to be like him. Um, Which is a real weird transition, especially considering, like, Crimes of the Future, current David Cronenberg. It's like, oh, have we we turned a corner here where (laughs) it's no longer, like... I'm I just trying to do something decent and, you know, these women are having to deal with me to, like, they all want a piece of me, these women, they want to be doing what I'm doing. Piece. I think it's, you're seeing pre and post 40 years of everyone calling you a film visionary and genius in every conversation you have. Yeah, yeah. at so some point that's going to get to you. Yeah. you a, I think any of us would be like, you know what, maybe I am hot shit. Maybe I did fucking invent body horror. How about that? Is That's fucking amazing. I do rule. I guess let's, I mean, Ben already answered this question to some extent, but you guys, do we feel this movie is, is worth recommending to people? Should people see it? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, I think it's, it's certainly a really interesting index of its time. And it's, you know, just remember everything that comes with that particular criterium. Is that, you know, it's not as aware of certain tropes as maybe it should be, but it's certainly of the time. I think it's it's really fascinating and, you know, fun vibes, Cronenberg vibes. What do you think, Jason? I, I would I would say a, a light recommendation in that I, I don't feel that it's as cohesive enough of a story to say like, oh, this is this is something that's that's well thought out. We didn't really speak a lot about the ending. But yeah, like it's, it's an okay movie. It's good for, if you want to see some, some trippy stuff, but like almost not enough trippy stuff for me. Like I wanted more weirdness out of it than, than we ended up getting. So yeah, I would say if you like middle period Cronenberg, definitely check it out and kind of work your way backwards and see where some of this stuff started. So light, light recommendation. Okay. Yeah. I, I think for me, it it is similar to crimes of the future in some ways in that it has kind of a like, yeah, but what if, and at the end of the movie, you're like, yeah, but what if like, mm-hmm. what's, the, what's the point? It doesn't yeah. feel like a complete thought. Yeah. Like what is yeah. the next thing? Because there's a lot of, there's a lot of this movie in particular because it deals so much with hallucination and everything that like, 
They're like, I don't actually know what did happen in this movie by the end of it. Like I was saying, is, is Masha still alive? Who knows? Is Nikki still alive? Don't think so. They, they say pretty clearly that she's dead, but who knows if you can trust those people? Yeah. But also, like, I don't know. There's, there's to some extent, it, it has some some interesting ideas, but it is also, I think, a testament to, like, the way that people's minds work that David Cronenberg is like, yes, but what if, like, you could fuck a TV, but he can't think beyond the idea of a VHS at that point. Like, oh, yeah. Like, but still, it's a VHS. Like, you know, you have to have magnetic strips that we watch, you know, this stuff off of. There's, you know, couldn't couldn't conceive of the idea of like a, you know, a, a hard drive or, a, you know, even a DVD or a laser disc at that point. Yeah, that this. The speculative fiction when it comes to the actual technology is is very dated. And I, I do think it is part of the... Uh... The Derek is never... Yeah, but what's the next logical step after that? He's like, his is always like, yeah, but what if we could fuck that technology? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying with the H.G. Wells thing. Is that like, you know, whereas H.G. Wells is like, but what if there were cr- crazy flying machines and then we went places with them? David Cronenberg's like, what if we could fuck it? And then you ask, and then what? And he's like, I don't know, have some guts. He's, he's the record Ralph like, of fucking. He's just like, no, <laughs> I'm With this plane had veins. Let's get the plane vein. <laughs> I really don't want to see a David Cronenberg movie about flying. You know that big fleshy plane? Oh, no. It was nostalgic seeing all these console TVs, these wood grain console TVs. That- I... I loved oh, the effect when Brian Oblivion went from like the distorted speaking through television sound to just speaking normal conversation sound. And it was very good. It was the very sound editing in this is fascinating. Very good, you know, film language of communicating themes of merging reality and television. Yeah. I first I... saw this movie on a TV like that. I just want you to know that. Very good. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting how like the how well that sound is is produced that when he gets that tape from Oblivion, it starts sounding like this. And then when it says hello to him, it's like, hi, Max. It's like, whoa, wait, what? <laughs> but also anytime James Woods walks anywhere, it sounds like he's wearing tap shoes for some reason. That is such a good sound, though. I mean, there's a lot it's, of it. It's so crisp. It's uh, like. I, Rice Krispies. I guess going from there, what would we, what, what kind of recommendations do we have? What should people check out if they enjoy this or even if they didn't? Jason, what do you have to recommend? So there's, there's a whole, the whole horror genre of haunted videotapes, most famously being Ringu or The Ring, where things, things that you watch come to haunt you or things that you watch, you know, are, are full of ghosts. So that's, that's a thing. The, 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 this is very matrixy and that they could, you know, in theory, be feeding him action movies and he could start jumping off of stuff. Could feed him very early Jackie Chan movies. That would have been great. So like That's James Woods would have been like, I know, Gung Vu and I'm a jerk. And, and, and there he, is, he there's it. a digital stomach vagina in like the second Matrix or second or third Matrix movie. Like what Keanu reaches in and restarts Trinity's heart. Like oh, that happens. Yeah. That uh, does happen. So it's it's very oh, downloady. It's very like 
it could be used to gain new skills. Maybe that's the military's goal in the end of like, oh, we could just not train people. We could just feed them, you know, Arlie Ermey movies and they would be ready to go. If we I mean, give them the all of vagina, if we give them all vagina stomachs, they can fit another gun in there. Yeah. I, think- I mean, I don't think they were trying to do the vagina stomach thing in MK Ultra, but who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Our uh, program for- got up to a whole bunch of shit. Like, yeah. it's kind of silly to recommend somebody see The Matrix. I'm, anybody who wants to has. But, you know, it, it, there's some very similar things between these two movies. If you haven't yeah. seen The Matrix, go watch The Matrix. Like, hey, have you heard this movie called The, the Matrix? There's a lot of people, I think, that haven't quite seen The Matrix. There's a lot of young people haven't seen The Matrix yet. But it is, you know, Holy especially with people who yeah. see The Matrix. But it's not well, like a deep of. cut of like, hey, did you ever hear about this movie? Oh, yeah. Heard of a little film. I uh, heard of it. Pretty underground called The Matrix. <laughs> ben, what about you? What would you recommend? So if you want another movie of a hapless man being bounced between opposing forces in a cascading series of conspiracies and events that he has no agency or understanding of, definitely check out The Big Lebowski. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's a sideways. That's a, I like that. Yeah. I always like doing the sideways recommendations. Coming at it from the end. That was a good recommend sideways. Really? I just no. recommend wine. <laughs> yeah, wine is good also after this movie. This is more of a like, liquor movie, honestly. Yeah, um, true. It Gotta wash that gun down with something. Yeah, if there was ever a movie to just have like straight whiskey too. Yeah. Malt liquor. Yeah. Uh, Emily, so, what, have, what have you guys to recommend? Yeah, I've already done the Max Hedrum thing, and I, so what I would recommend if you want some more co- interesting commentary about the the mass media problems that we have right now, check out the Social Network. That movie is horrifying in a different way. You don't need guts to be fucked up by that misogyny. So, and I think it's a very important movie to watch, especially in this day and age, because that movie knew it was evil and. It still is absolutely insane. Like, has there ever been a greater case of Hollywood jumping the gun than doing the Mark Zuckerberg biopic in 2010? In 2010? I, I think we he... may miss some stuff that turned out to be important. Well, I thought it was interesting. It was very, like, predictive. Same kind of way. Not the same exact way, but similarly to this movie where they're like, this is a problem, y'all. And then, oh, absolutely. It's just like this was early. Yeah. He would go on to do way more shit that we would need to cover. Are you going to the apocalypse? Unless this was the long game and they are, and Fincher and Eisenberg are going to return for like the meta network. Just call it meta commentary. Maybe, maybe they did create the monster. Fincher, you listening? Thank God if he was. You imagine? How amazing would that be? We've got like oh, we've got like 200 listeners. If Fincher was one of them, that'd be fucking incredible. So the the one thing and I wanted to recommend, it, it occurred to me as as we were talking about the commentary, and Ben mentioned that we were sort of he's sort of getting out ahead of the commentary that will happen with video games shortly thereafter this, and he will come back again to basically make a movie pretty similar to this, dealing with games, and it's called Existence, and it is. As weird and and Cronenbergy as this one, it's just a lot of you know fleshy VR machines plugging into your head and 
you know, it does have Jude Law, which is a nice upgrade from. from oh my god! It, you know, it doesn't have Debbie Harry, which you know, unfortunately, but it does have Willem Dafoe, which is almost as good. Man, Jude Jason, Law and Willem say. Dafoe, fuck! I am. That's a good cast. And Just Ian the two Holland, of them. So. Oh shit! And Christopher Eccleston. Oh. So, I mean, fuck! Oh no! Fuck! That's a stacked cast. Yeah, I was in. I I saw that movie in the background at one point. I think that was another one that my dad was watching, and I was like, "What the fuck is this?" And he's like, "Your Bends, and you're like, "Isn't that the, the the gas station boner pills?" One more I mean, further recommendation same... for movies yes. dealing with TV, TV executives, and things like that. Check out Network. Network is a good, like behind yeah. the scenes TV show, yes. TV network politics thing. And you want about you want to talk about something that like got out ahead of the curve like network is an incredibly predictive movie of, of like the current media landscape in a way that is frightening yeah but yeah and then you'll have a good excuse to run around saying i'm mad as hell and i'm not gonna take it anymore i'm gonna uh, stick with long live the new flesh but we'll see how that long that lasts do you think we could change the the title or the subtitle of your podcast to to be progressively horrified? The one you take to bed at night, the one you take <laughs> to bed with you. Yes, the one you take to bed with. Welcome to progressively horrified. The one you take to bed. I'd have to get a little further up on the mic. I, think. I don't. Welcome to progressively horrified. The one you take to bed with. I'm glad this is almost over. Emily's <laughs> <laughs> turning bright red right now. All right. <laughs> That's always what happens when I do the, well, I mean, also, yeah, like any, I like doing the customer service voice. Don't like hearing it. I'm sorry. That's my hypocrisy. On that note, Jason, before we wrap up, can you let people know where they can find out about more about you and your work online? Yeah. So you can find my main website at strutsart.com and strutsart at pretty much any social media. My, my big project right now is currently releasing some work in progress of my medieval horror undead family drama graphic novel called Returned at my, my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash strutsart. I'm posting some twice weekly. You're getting uh, script pages, sketch pages with lettering and commentary and backstory stuff. This is a book that I've been working on for two or three years now that keeps getting waylaid by pandemics and, and jobs and all sorts mm -hmm. of stuff. But uh, I'm finally putting out work on that so you can follow the work in progress there. So that's my big main project right now. And I'm also doing, started working for a company called 2C Gaming who makes Dungeons and Dragons expansion books in, in art direction there. Let awesome. me know if you need any, yeah. any art. Oh, Jason. That's awesome. I also want to mention that Jason did the, the logo for our show. Yes. I did. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. So yeah. So if you're if you're wondering what his art looks like, well now you know. It, I really love that logo too. I used it for my letterboxed my profile picture on the letterbox. Oh good. Polite. I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoy it. Yes. Uh, as for the rest of us, you can find Emily at Megamoth on Twitter and Mega underscore Moth on Instagram and at Megamoth.net. Ben is on Twitter at Ben the Con and on their website at BenConComics.com where you can pick up all of their books. And finally, for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jrome 58 and my website at JeremyWhitley.com where you can check out everything that I write. And of course, the podcast is on Patreon at Progressively Horrified, our website at progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm. 
and on Twitter at Prague Horror Pod, where we would love to hear from you. Come tweet at us about uh, Videodrome and how you love the new Flash. Speaking of loving to hear from you, we would love it if you'd rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening to it. Five stars helps us find new listeners. And thanks again to Jason for joining us. Jason, it was great. Long live the new flesh. Yeah, long live the new flesh. And thanks as always to Ben and Emily for joining us. Thanks to you for listening. And until next time, stay horrified. Progressively Horrified is created by Jeremy Whitley and produced by Alicia Whitley. This episode featured Jeremy, Ben, Emily, and special guest Jason Stratz. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and do not represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers, nor do they represent the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole 06 and was provided royalty-free from Pixabay. If you like this episode, you can support us on Patreon. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter at ProgHorrorPod or by email at ProgressivelyHorrified at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. Ray, another episode in the can.